0: Good morning, Redemption. Be sure to make it on out to first Wednesday this week. Author Jay Kim is going to be speaking on his new upcoming book, Analog Christian, and it's going to be fire. There have been some powerful upgrades in history. The horse and buggy that used to stroll around town in has now been upgraded to the Tesla. The fire that our ancient ancestors used to heat their dwelling places has now been upgraded to central heating in the Google Nest thermostat. Right? And the rotary phone that hung on my parents' kitchen wall growing up, you had to dial the numbers, has now been upgraded to the world at your fingertips, the smartphone in your pocket, right? There have been some powerful upgrades, and you and I, we want the upgrade. I want the upgrade, you want the upgrade? We will wait hours in line at the Apple Store for the upcoming newest release of the iPhone. I can remember waiting with eager anticipation in my younger years for what was deemed to be the most powerful upgrade yet in the history of the world. It was the Atari that I was on with a little joystick and playing Frogger and whatever, uh, but soon to be coming was the Nintendo, right? And I waited with eager anticipation when I knew we were going to get the Nintendo. I could not wait. And there's this reality if you want the upgrade, you anticipate the upgrade, you long for it. Like me as that kid just hoping I cannot wait until it comes. Well, there's one thing I was wrong about as a kid. And that is that there is another upgrade that is actually the most powerful upgrade in history. Today we are going to be looking at the most powerful upgrade in history, and it is the arrival of the Holy Spirit. arrival of the Holy Spirit. We are in John 14. So if you've got your Bible and you want to turn there, uh, read along, read in, read together. So John 14, and in this passage, here's what we're going to see. Jesus is talking about how he's going to ascend to the Father and he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And at first glance, the disciples feel like this is a downgrade. The disciples are like, dude, Jesus, how how can this be better? Like right now we got you face-to-face right here in our midst. This feels like we're getting a downgrade with the Holy Spirit, something less than. Why can't you just stay here with us and we do this together? But Jesus confronts them and says, actually, no, me ascending to the Father, me sending you the Holy Spirit is actually a divine upgrade that you're getting. And I think this passage is important because you and I, we can still tend to see the Holy Spirit as a downgrade in the presence of Jesus, right? I think for many of us, the Holy Spirit is like junior God, right? It's like the redheaded stepchild of the Trinity, right? Sort of the estranged member that, all right, yeah, he's there, but he's kind of JV. But what Jesus is going to show us today is, no, you should anticipate, want, long for, and celebrate and rejoice in the upgrade, the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is actually going to empower some greater things in you. And so today, the title for the message today is "Take the Upgrade." Let's jump in and see three things Jesus is going to show us about why it's actually better that we receive the arrival of the Holy Spirit. So let's jump in. John 14, verse 12. Jesus says, "Truly, truly, I say to you." That's his way of saying, "Hey, pay attention. I'm about to say here." Jesus says, "Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do." And greater works than these will he do. Why? Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. All right, well, the first thing Jesus says here is that the the Spirit is an upgrade because he empowers greater works. Uh, The Spirit's an upgrade because he empowers greater works. And first glance, Jesus' words here sound a little crazy. Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to send you the Spirit... You're going to do even greater works than I do. Now how in the world are you going to do greater works than Jesus? Are you able to turn water to wine? Are you able to raise someone from the dead? What in the world can Jesus mean when he says, "You and I, we're going to be able to do even greater works than He has done? Well, let's break this down. A few things. First, observation. why is it that we'll be able to do these greater works? Jesus says it's because he's going to the Father. He's going to ascend to the Father. Now, sometimes I think we we tend to think of the ascension as Jesus went away. Like he's on vacation, he's at the beach, whatever, just chilling out, and we're waiting until one day he's ready to come back. But in the New Testament, we find the ascension doesn't mean Jesus went away. It means Jesus has been exalted. Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God, the throne of God, that he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And so the pictures we should have here is Jesus, is, well, man, you're gonna be able to do these things because I'm gonna be on the throne. It's like the president or world leader, like, man, Jesus is like gonna be he's like, I'm in the Oval Office now. I've stepped into the window, whatever, the the windowed office of the CEO boardroom. I'm now actually at the helm of all creation. And so the reason why, as his followers, we can do these greater works is because Jesus has been exalted to the throne of God. He's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Okay, well, next question here, how can we do these greater works? And Jesus says, if you ask in my name. In my name, that's become kind of an interesting thing where um, for some, it's almost become like a magic mantra, right? Like, Jesus, da da, da 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 in your name, amen, or in his name, amen, right? And we can almost treat it like this magic mantra, like you're in Vegas and rolling the dice, and like, all right, lucky sevens, Jesus, oh yeah, in his name, you know, and thinking it's going and that's to mistreat this. Jesus is not talking about this as a magic mantra. What he's saying is when he talks about the name of God, the name of God in the Bible is a synonym for his presence, for his person. So Jesus is saying, when you are in union with me, when your life is aligned with my purposes, when you are in union and tapped into my presence, that is how I am able to do even greater works through you as my people. Sometimes when I pray, uh, I like to kind of do something like this to remind myself. Is you know, I'll pray and I'll say, Jesus, man, you have been exalted to the right hand of God. You've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. You, it, it's you. We're looking to your strength, not our own, to accomplish this. And when I'm doing that, it's, it's, it's almost like trying to remind myself and declare what is true in reality. Going, the strength of our prayers is not in our words. It's in his power. Yeah. Right? Okay, well, <clears throat> what can we pray for? Jesus says next, ask anything. Ask anything and I'll do it. And this raises a big question for many of us, a question around unanswered prayer. God has been doing some amazing things in our community, in our church here recently, but um, for many of us, myself included, we've also got these unanswered prayers, going, God, I I asked you, Jesus, I brought it in your name. Uh, Jesus, I prayed, I asked for this thing in your name, and yet my child is still in the hospital. Jesus, I asked you and uh, I've asked you for your provision, yet I'm still not able to make rent. What do we do with unanswered prayer? Well, actually, a few things. One, uh, on our podcast this week, we do a deep dive on on this and some other Holy Spirit-related questions that often come up. And so I would encourage you, this Thursday that comes out, I think Thursday, so I'd encourage you to go check that out. That's a great resource going a bit deeper. But two thoughts I would leave you with here this morning on this. Um, The first is that Jesus has unanswered prayer too. Jesus has unanswered prayer too that right after he says this, this is the night before his death, John 14. He's getting his disciples ready for his crucifixion. And right after Jesus says this, he's going to go into the Garden of Gethsemane where he is going to be sweating blood and he is going to be praying, Father, if there be any way, take this cup from me. And guess what? Jesus' prayer is going to go unanswered. And Jesus knows it's not because God doesn't love me and it's not because he's not powerful enough to do it. And so Jesus boldly brings his prayer to the Father and yet he entrusts himself to the Father in the midst of it. And what that means is when you and I have unanswered prayers, we can, and we can, you, hey, you're in good company, right? Like, like you're with Jesus and we can entrust ourselves to the Father in the midst of it. Another observation here is that Jesus is, Telling his disciples this this to his disciples, and they are going to have unanswered prayers too. Like as the as we read on, we're going to find the disciples eventually. They're going to suffer. They're going to be martyred. They're going to die for their faith. They're going to be shipwrecked and fed to lions. The early church is going to experience persecution, even though they're living powerfully in God's presence. And so, what this all this means is that when you have unanswered prayers, it doesn't mean that you just didn't have enough faith or it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Or it doesn't mean that God's not for you or that God loves that other person more than you. They must, God must love them more than me because that's why he answered it. No, like, that's, that's, that's not what, what's going on here. But what I do believe Jesus is saying is pray boldly. He's saying, what can we ask for? Ask for anything. It's like me telling my kids, sky's the limit. I may not give you everything, but ask for anything. And trust me in the things that don't, but ask for anything. Jesus is inviting us to pray boldly, to pray big prayers, to ask for anything. Sky's the limit to come before him and pray boldly. Well, this brings us to our big question. What does Jesus mean by greater works? He says, you are going to be able to do even greater works than me. Well, that word greater, it can refer either to quality or quantity. And I don't think Jesus here is talking about quality, right? Like, I don't think he's saying, I don't think Jesus is going, hey, I raised Lazarus from the dead, but you're going to be able to raise Lazarus from the dead and give him a six pack of abs and give him a Hummer or whatever. Like, Jesus is not saying you're going to be able to improve on the quality of my work when I've But what I do believe Jesus is saying is, through you as my people, there's going to be a greater quantity of works. Right? That Jesus' spirit is going to empower an exponential multiplication of his kingdom works and ministry in the world. That right now, Jesus is going, it's going to go from me, the one, to you, the 12, and then from you to the, uh, the, the churches and the believers and those who will follow all the way till today, two billion people around the world. Jesus' Jesus's global church is able to manifest his presence and his power to the world through the presence of the Spirit. The Spirit is an upgrade because he empowers greater works. And the Spirit is an upgrade because Jesus' calendar only has so many spots. right? Like I uh, got onto Calendly recently, Calendly.com. It's like an app, and basically I upgraded my calendar to this Calendly app. And what Calendly allows you to do is um, you can kind of set up your week with different appointment spots, right? you put in different appointments, and um, then people can go, and they can see, oh, okay, he's got available here, here, and there. And so here's the thing. If you go out, and you sign up to Calendly, and you kind of set it all up, you can start to see and look at your week, and go, how much time do I have available? How many spots do I have for a face-to-face, one-on-one encounter with someone? And what you start to see is, man, if I just did that alone all week, like, if I just gave my whole week to, like, meetings, if you, if you were to just give your whole week to meetings with people for, like, an hour or so... Um, you could probably fit in maybe about 50 appointments, right? Maybe if you decide, hey, I'm not even going to eat or sleep or whatever, I my whole. Bunch. you might be able to get it up to around 100. But if you're Jesus, <laughs> like that is a, a small window into where, where, you know, you and I are kind of going, man, 2 billion people around the world. Jesus, can I get on your calendar? Can I get some face-to-face time with you? Jesus sends you his Calendly link, and you're looking, all right, it's going to be like 2026. It's going to be like couple of years from now before I can get that face-to-face, one-on-one appointment time with Jesus. And you may be asking, well, if Jesus is God, why can't he just be physically present to everyone all the time? And in one sense, as the eternal son of God, Jesus is present. All things have been created through him and are sustained in him. But in his incarnation, as the word become flesh, Jesus takes on the limitations of humanity. In part of that's the limitation of time and space. But The reality now of what he's talking about with the sending of his presence is now he's going, dude, the obstacles have been overcome. My death and resurrection has abolished the the obstacles, and now you're going to get my presence unleashed all throughout the world through my people. The Spirit is an upgrade because he empowers greater works. And the Spirit upgrades you and I by empowering greater works through us. We see this throughout history that the church uh, was Christians who believed and looked to Jesus as teacher that started universities, upgraded the world's education systems. Other Christians who looked to Jesus as healer were those who launched hospitals and the hospital movement upgrading healthcare around the world. Other Christians who believed in Jesus and looked at him as the word were those who sparked and launched global literacy movements around the world. So there's powerful ways that the Holy Spirit at work through God's people has upgraded kind of the work of Jesus transforming culture and doing amazing things around the world. But it's more than this, too. It's not just the things that we're inspired by Jesus from afar to do on our own strength. It's also the things that could not be done except by the strength and the power of Jesus. If you go to the global church around the world, you meet the people and you hear the stories of God's bringing healing and deliverance and words from God and dreams and visions and God on the move, shaking. I'm I'm, I'm in Vietnam and they're talking about the persecuted church there. Leaders are talking about, man, Jesus raising people from the dead and the former government leaders who were persecuting them actually coming to faith and joining the church and following Jesus. When I worked on the Navajo reservation, I don't know that I've ever been at a spot where I heard more stories of people being healed from cancer. And I... I have to believe that sometimes it's in the hardest places that God's power shows up the strongest for his people. And this is good news not only for the global church around the world, it's good news for us right here at home. Because I have to believe that as the darkness in our culture gets stronger, the light of Jesus' presence in our midst is going to shine brighter. And we're beginning to even see signs of this uh, as well, or we are, we've been seeing this. We've been talking about kind of celebrating these signs of renewal over the last few months and uh, just how there have been about 10 stories the last couple of months of powerful healing and things that God's been doing, and they just keep going. Um, the last two weeks, uh, two weeks ago, uh, I preached a sermon where I, I shared a story in there of uh, someone whose daughter had been healed of a, a mass. It uh, found And um, then this last week, uh, a couple of us got a text that said uh, they were just getting home from their son's appointment, doctor appointment, and I said, "I'm not going to lie after hearing Josh preach about the other girl whose mass disappeared. I became worried that maybe the ticket for a miracle of a disappearing mass was used on her, and that wouldn't be our story. But I had to remind myself that God's healing isn't limited and doesn't run out. Well, overjoyed to report another testimony of a disappearing mass. God healed our son's kidney, and they found absolutely nothing on his scan, exclamation. Thank you so much for your prayers, as I know they were heard, exclamation point. Healing is real. Double high five. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So I got that. Greater works. Right? So I got that, and I start dancing around. I'm all excited. And then an hour later or so, I bump into this guy from another church who had come and had asked a few of us for prayer. And he said, hey, I'm coming. I wanted to share an update and a story. He had come asking for healing for his niece. And so his niece uh, had lost the ability to walk. And so they went and as they um, did the x-rays and scans, they found uh, basically a neuro, oh, man, neuroblastoma, I it was called. Uh, and it was a large cancerous tumor on her spine." And um, he said, would you guys pray for my niece? And so we began praying for his niece, and I asked him if he could write some of this down after he talked with me, but here's part of it in his own words. He said, the doctors were perplexed yet overjoyed to share the news with my sister that the cancer was gone. Yeah, the prayer. Typically, this cancer becomes a lifelong issue with a relatively low survival rate. Not only is the cancerous tumor gone, but Phoenix, is cr- the niece is crawling and her physical therapy is progressing smoothly. Well, the medical team uh, surely played a vital role in this. I have no doubt that God moved through the prayers and faith of his people. Again, most children diagnosed with neuroblastoma don't survive. For her tumor to be completely gone, this quickly is miraculous. Just, yeah, we can praise Jesus for that Any Greater works, right? He told me his sister didn't believe in God, didn't believe in Jesus, and then going through this, he called her and said, hey, we've been praying for you and uh, all this, and we just have this gathering, people praying for you, right before they went in to the doctor to get the, the update, and now his sister has come to faith and is following Jesus and is pressing in as well. Amen. Amen. <laughs> greater works. The Spirit is an upgrade because he empowers greater works through his people. Not necessarily greater in Quality, we're not improving as what Jesus did in that sense, but greater in quantity because now it's the victory of Jesus at work in and through the body of Christ around the world. And so what does this mean for us? Well, I would suggest you take the upgrade. Like, <laughs> take the upgrade. Like, how boldly would you pray if you believed that Jesus was actually on the throne ruling over all of heaven and earth? How boldly would you pray if you believed he had actually given you his presence and was united in you and that, with you and that Jesus delights to actually give us his presence? Now, sometimes Jesus shows up with power to fix it, and sometimes Jesus shows up with his presence to walk with you through it. But what both those hold in common is that we have access as the body of Christ to the presence and the power of Jesus, his spirit. Spirit, We have access to his spirit, so take the upgrade. Okay, well, Jesus goes on next to give us the next upgrade. Verse 15, he says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Because he inspires a greater obedience. Spirit inspires a greater obedience. Twice here, Jesus says, the one who loves me will keep my commands. And Jesus is saying here that if we truly love him, that's gonna lead to an obedience to him. Not overnight, we're still gonna make mistakes, whatever, but that over time, sanctification, we're gonna grow in obedience as we our lives become saturated by his presence and his love. And that is a challenge for some today because we can tend to think of, uh, man, love and obedience is two very different things with God. I've even heard some Christians say, you know, in the Old Testament, God was about obedience and it was law and it was commands, all those things. In the New Testament, God doesn't care about it anymore. It's just about love and grace and truth. And what that misses is that love is designed to lead to a greater obedience. That the love of God in you works its way out in an obedience through you. It's like when my kids are like, Dad, I love you. And I'm like, well, why don't you pick up your room? <laughs> You're like, "Come on, like show me you love me by living my ways. <clears throat> and Jesus goes on here and he says, I'm going to send the Spirit who is the helper and will lead you into all truth because the Spirit he's going, is going to strengthen your obedience. The Spirit is going to strengthen in you a greater obedience because he's going to deepen your experience of God's presence. That no longer, Jesus says, we'll just be the spirit with you—it's going to be the spirit in you. And Jesus is saying here, the spirit, His sending of the spirit. This is the solution to a major problem in the Old Testament—the problem of the hardened heart. And the issue with the hardened heart was going, man, people going, we we want to serve God, we want to try and follow God, but. Also, our hearts grow hard against him. We prefer sin. We love other things more, and so we don't follow God. Or even when we do keep the commands technically, we actually have a heart that's resentful towards God. or becomes kind of a legalistic thing as well. And all of this was the problem of a lesser obedience, and it was rooted in the hardened heart. And yet there was this hope in the Old Testament that Jesus is fulfilling here. This hope shows up in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, where God says, hey, well, the day is coming, when I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus going, the day is coming when I'm gonna give you a God's gonna give you a new heart within you, and you could go, oh sweet, well now I got the new heart, God's love, I don't need to worry about obedience anymore. No. He goes on in verse twenty-seven, the very next verse says, And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what God's saying here and what Jesus is fulfilling here is that God's renewal of our heart, of our affections and our desires, it takes place by him giving us his spirit, his presence. And as the spirit enlivens our hearts and sets them aflame with the love of God, it works its way out in obedience. That we will grow over time in walking into this greater obedience, a greater obedience than before, because it's motivated and empowered by the actual experience of his presence, the love for him. Now, the sad reality is that we often settle for a lesser obedience, a lesser obedience. I recently was uh, hanging out with a friend of mine, and this friend was sharing how they had been struggling with kind of deconstruction and... um, man starting to wrestle with and maybe not sure where they were at with a number of things related to to God and Christ. And and as this conversation progressed, though, the friend got vulnerable and was like, you know, the reality is uh, for a while now, it's been kind of ongoing for a while where I've really been tempted by and struggling with the opportunity for an affair. And I felt like, God, you're keeping this thing from me. And he said, you know, the only thing that's been keeping me from it is I play it out. I said, what do you mean by play it out? He'll explain it to me. So I play it out. So I, I, I'm i playing it out in my head. I'm going, okay, if I go down this road, then my kids will lose respect for me. as the father, and I don't really want that. If I play it out, uh, I could lose my job because of the profession he's in, and inability to say that, right? And he's going, and if I play it out, I could destroy my wife, who's been faithful to me all these years. And so he's going, I'm playing it out, and I just, man, I don't want... Those gnarly things to happen, but I feel like this resentment in my heart towards God and this distance right now. And my observation to him was, um, you know, it's interesting. There's one thing on that list that you didn't mention because you are playing out one thing on the list you didn't mention. He's like, "What's that?" And I'm like, "God." Like, there was no mention in there of what this would do to your relationship with God to actually violate God's. Love for you to break trust with your relationship with him. Actually, the deepest thing you were made for, image-bearing, reflecting God into the world, you would actually distort and corrupt and, uh, and, and harm like the ability to image and reflect God's faithfulness, the security of his covenant love into the world as a whole. And essentially, I was going, you're motivated by the fear of the consequences, but not by a love of God and a love of the good. And I believe the Spirit wants to upgrade you from a lesser obedience to a greater obedience. an obedience that's not just about avoiding the bad stuff, but it's about living into the good stuff. And I got to be honest, though, that I myself have sometimes wrestled with this, right? Like, I've come to think of this is a good check engine light on my heart. Right? When I get to a spot where I'm kind of going, all right, God, I'll obey you, but man, I don't know. I understand why you're holding this out on me with this thing, or I don't understand why I got And I start to get this resentment, but I'm like, I'm gonna run it up and keep the rules and all right, God, I don't know, you know. And, and internally, though, I'm just feeling depressed and angry and resentful and frustrated with God and whatever, and yet I'm still doing the right things, right? <laughs> ding, 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 that's, that's like the check engine, right? I show up my heart I'm going, whoa, God, there's, so, I believe in the lies of the enemy right now that your ways are actually against me rather than for me. That you're trying to keep something good from me rather than give me your best to this thing, right? And I believe for you and I, what I would call us to today is don't settle for a lesser obedience. Sometimes you can be keeping the rules and doing the right things and checking the boxes and whatever else, uh, and yet within your heart, it's hard. It's Hard against God because you're going, you think you're doing God a favor. You're doing God a favor. I believe well, the Spirit wants to upgrade you from a grumpy obedience to a greater obedience, right? Like one that is actually motivated by His presence, His love for you. How how can you do this? How can you kind of be aware or attentive when you're living out of a lesser obedience? I'd say this: it's when you feel resentful, grumpy towards God, right? Like. When you really kind of stop and look at it and go, man, I really feel like, God, actually, you're just trying to keep me, good thing. That's, that's a good check engine light to go, Jesus, I wanna get my eyes off myself and look to you. I wanna ask you, Jesus, the risen, exalted Lord, renew my heart, renew my affections through your spirit, your presence. The love of God poured out for you into your heart, his presence. Jesus, renew my heart, your spirit. I don't wanna settle for a lesser obedience, Holy Spirit, work in us a greater obedience. We want to be a church who lives into a greater obedience, lives into a greater obedience, not because we're trying to be legalistic Pharisees and think we're all that, whatever, but because we're living into the love of God, that we are living out of the love of God, that we are pressing into what the Spirit has for us as his people, the love of God. And, and this is serious. Sometimes I think one of the biggest obstacles to the greater works is the lesser obedience, because a lack of holiness amongst God's people can lead to a block in kingdom power expressed in and through God's people. It's interesting, man. You go to Revelation two and three, and Jesus is walking around amongst the churches, and he's talking to the churches, and he's confronting sin and idolatry and wickedness and problems with them. And a number of them, he's like, "Man, if you don't churches, if you don't repent, I'm gonna come at you with a sword and and uh, and remove your lap, lampstand from my presence." Goes to other churches and he says, "Man, you guys are okay. Well, you're not doing the bad stuff like they are, but you're lukewarm. Meaning, maybe you're not doing the bad stuff, but your heart is just only only warm for me." And Jesus goes, "Man, lukewarm. You don't be careful. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. (laughs) I'd rather have you hot or cold, one or the other. But choose this day whom you will serve, whom you love. Love. What Jesus wants to do through His presence, His Spirit, is upgrade our obedience." From a lesser obedience that's just afraid of the consequences to a greater obedience that's driven by love of God. All right, well, Jesus told us that the Spirit is an upgrade because he can empower greater works and inspire greater obedience. Now let's go to the third and final one here. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, not the guy who's going to betray him, uh, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to you, the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home. Everybody say that, home, home. Make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who here we find the spirit is an upgrade because he gives a greater presence. Judas, not Iscariot, asked the obvious kind of follow-up question to Jesus here. He's like, Jesus, how is it that you're going to manifest yourself to us but not to the world? Because you see, for Judas, he still had the impression of the Messiah's victory and the way everyone anticipated this to come out. And the Messiah's going to win, conquer Rome, he's going to be on the throne, all the TV cameras are going to be on him, and And essentially he's expecting, Jesus, it's like you're going to be in Times Square and all the TV cameras are on you and everyone is going to see you in the flesh, face to face, there he is, whatever. How are you going to accomplish this victory? All eyes are going to be on you in the flesh and we'll get it, but not the world. And Jesus is explaining it to him. And he's saying, no, you're still misunderstanding. Yeah, there is the eventual victory that's coming. Jesus' kingdom is going to come. He's going to reign from the throne at the center of creation. But right now, for the ascension, what he's talking about is going, the way I'm going to manifest myself to you is by making my home with you and in you through my spirit you're actually going to get a greater presence than you anticipate. Like what they're expecting is to see Jesus on TV in the Capitol and whatever, and what he's going is like, dude, you're watching for me on the TV, and actually it's the knock on the front door. I'm inviting myself in, and I'm coming in to actually make my home with you. This Spirit gives a greater presence because it is not only Jesus in front of us, it is Jesus within us. When he comes to say, man, I'm making my home with you, you got a new roommate, right? Like You've got a new roommate moving in, and it's the spirit of the living God. Jesus has not come just so that you can see him in front of you. He's come to place his very presence within you. I was struck reading this week in verse 18 a little earlier. Jesus makes this interesting comment. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What's he saying there? Well, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. He's like, I'm not going to ascend and just leave you guys houseless and homeless and without anyone around you to be with you and care for you without parents, whatever. He's going, no, I will come to you. And I had always read that or thought of that as going, okay, the second coming, when he comes again at the end to make all things right. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about his giving of the spirit. What that means is when Jesus gives us, when he gives us his spirit, he gives us himself. His very presence. The point that he can say, I will come to you, Richard, to you, Kathy, to you, Victor. I will come to you and make my home in you through my presence. The Father and I, we will come and we will make our home with you. Jesus sees the Spirit here. He describes it not as just some vague force or energy out in the world. He describes it as his very presence. The real presence of Jesus. Now that's powerful because if you think of the Spirit of God as just kind of this force field or energy or that kind of thing, you're going to tend to ask, How can I get more of the Spirit? Right? Like, how can I get more of access to that thing for me? But when you begin to see the Spirit as the person of God, not the redheaded stepchild, not the level, like, like the exalted equal member of the Trinity, the person of God, you are no longer asking just like, how can I get more of the Spirit? You're asking, how can the Spirit get more of me? How can the Spirit of God get more of me? Not like, hey, you know, you got my heart, but now you have my pinky toe or my right foot, but more like going, Jesus, I want to give you all of my life, all of my obedience, all of who I am. I want to surrender my life fully to you. And Jesus is going, I'm going to give you myself because I'm going to give you my spirit. Now, I have to confess, there are times this year where I've seen the spirit more as a downgrade than an upgrade. Many of you know I've struggled with some eyesight issues, and um, man, that led to kind of blindness in one eye and fear or threat of the same thing in the other eye at times, and um, And God's done some amazing things through that. And you heard, man, there's just rad stuff God's doing and things have generally been on the up. But there are times where I have wrestled with God and I have said, man, Jesus, why can't you just be here face to face, touch my eyes like you did the person in the Gospels and just fix it, fix it, heal it. And what Jesus has given me instead is his presence. And he's given me a presence that is greater than my circumstances. And it's been weird to actually go, man, the, the experience of his affection, the experience of him present with walking through the valley of the shadow, the experience of all that, it's been weird to get to a spot of going, actually, if I had to choose between healing of the sight without the presence or the presence of the healing, I'd take the latter. I mean, ideally, i I'd want both, right? But like, hey, of the two, I'll take the latter. I'll take your presence. And I found myself wondering, man, what if, if you had to choose, would you, would I rather be blind Bartimaeus in the Gospels who Jesus comes and he heals him, and, but then blind Bartimaeus never sees him again after he's healed? Or would I rather be the Apostle Paul who reportedly struggled with eyesight his whole life and experienced the presence and power of God working in him and through him in all these mighty ways? And I found myself going, again, man, I'd rather have both, but <laughs> between the two, I want the presence. Jesus, I want your presence with me because I want you. The Spirit gives you a presence that is greater than your circumstances. As I said before, I'll say it again, sometimes the Spirit shows up with the power to fix what's wrong, and sometimes shows up with His presence to endure with you through it. What both of those have in common is the Spirit of the living God. There's an invitation to rely not on your strength this morning, but on His. Not on your strength, but on his spirit. What do we do with that? What does that look like for us to do that? The invitation this morning is to take the upgrade. To take the upgrade. Don't quench his spirit or grieve his spirit. Let him have his way in you. It's, It's fascinating. When you look in the New Testament, there's three things that you can do to the spirit of God. Number one, you can quench the spirit. Number two, you can grieve the spirit. Or number three... You can let him have his way. The invitation this morning is to take the upgrade, not to quench the spirit. Uh, We quench the spirit with our cynicism and unbelief. It's like waters dousing the flame of his holy presence in us. Or we can grieve the spirit by our persistent sin and hardening of heart. But what we're invited to do is not quench the spirit or grieve the spirit, but to let him have his way in you. Go, yes, Jesus, you can have all of me. I want to walk in this greater presence that you have for me. I want to live into this greater obedience, not just because I'm afraid of the bad stuff because I'm living into the good stuff. And God, I want to see your greater works at work in and through us as your people because we're a community that's walking in the presence of the living God. The invitation this morning is to wait on him. It strikes me that we'll wait hours in line at the Apple store for the newest iPhone, but we'll not We'll struggle to wait five minutes in prayer for an upgrade of the heart. We'll struggle to fast one meal to turn our bodies into a prayer, crying out hungry for the divine presence in our lives. We were invited to wait on Jesus and to seek him and to hunger for him, for his presence. Because the Holy Spirit is not a downgrade, he's an upgrade. And the invitation this morning, as we come to the table, we come to the bread and the wine, a sign of his body broken and his blood given. As we come to the table this morning, we come to Jesus, the Spirit giver, the one who delights to pour out his presence on us as his people. And I want to invite you this morning as you come to the table to consider: Are there one of those three areas that you need more right now? We're going to pray in a moment. I want to invite a time of reflection for as we pray for you to consider. Man, for some of you this morning, um, it might be greater works, right? like seeking God to see His power and His presence at work in your life and in our community in powerful ways. If you're hungry for that this morning, ask Jesus for it. Come to the table hungry and seeking him for it. Others of you might be a greater obedience, an upgrade from that lesser obedience where it's just fear of the bad stuff to this greater obedience where a man going, Jesus, I want, you can pray this morning, Jesus, set my heart aflame with this love for you, with your presence. And for others, i would be the greater presence of no longer relying on your strength but on his spirit, a presence that is greater than your circumstances. And so, Let's, um, let's go to prayer, and I want to invite you to take some time right now. Take a moment to reflect, which of those three do you need more? I want to invite you to quietly, softly bring that before Jesus in prayer. Let's do that in prayer right now. Jesus, this morning we come to you as the spirit giver. Yeah. As we come to communion this morning, God, all who are followers of Jesus, we're invited to this table. And as we come, I thank you that you didn't conquer sin, death, and hell just so that you could inspire us from afar. God, You did it so that you could give us your presence. This morning as your people, Lord, we want to take the upgrade. God. Pray for greater works, Lord, that as the darkness in our culture around us gets stronger, that your light would shine brighter in our midst, Lord. We want to be a people who live faithfully to you and seek you. And for those who are going through hard times right now, who are maybe in a season of unanswered prayer, I pray that you would give your presence and power, God, that it would be felt and experienced, that you would minister to your people and help and comfort to walk them through it, Lord. I pray they would know they are not alone, that you yourself have walked through the valley of unanswered prayer, and you've come out the other side. Thank you that you were able to walk with us through those same valleys, Lord. And so I pray that for all in that place right now. And for others, God, I want to pray for your power to fix, to bring healing, restoration. God, I pray that marriages that are on the rocks would be restored. I pray that bodies that are broken or ill, God, would be If we experience healing and wholeness, God, I pray for forgiveness, Lord, where there's unforgiveness and bitterness and those other things, God, that your spirit would minister healing and wholeness to your people, Lord. Move among us, Jesus, with presence and with power. And Jesus, we confess we wanna live a greater obedience than we have thus far, Lord. We trade a lesser obedience, living out of just a fear of the consequences, God, Holy Spirit, set our hearts aflame with a greater obedience, Lord, that we move and live and walk all in love of you who have first loved us. God, I pray that your presence would saturate our hearts, Lord. It would not just be this dry duty, but it would be the devotion of our lives to you as our crucified and risen king. And finally, Jesus, the foundation of all this, Lord, hunger for a greater presence. For your presence that is greater than our circumstances, Lord. God, for your presence that is not only in front of us to look at you, but within us, that you would reside within us and make your home in us. And so, God, we declare that Holy Spirit, you are welcome here in our lives as your people. You are welcome. Make us a temple fit for your presence, Lord. Manifest your glory in us and through us to your world. God, more than anything else in all creation, anything this world has to offer, we hunger for you. We hunger for you. So Jesus, we celebrate this morning your greater presence. Take the upgrade, God. And we give you rejoicing celebration and our worship and thanksgiving in response. Jesus, it's in your name, exalted at the right hand of the Father, given all authority in heaven and on earth, whose victory is already being unleashed and will firmly be established in the end. It's in your mighty name that we pray.